Well, let's pray. Our Lord, Creator, our Lord God and Heavenly Father, we thank you that your word speaks to us. It reveals who you are, all that you've done for us in the gospel especially, how you want us to live in response. Lord, we pray that by your spirit that you might enable me to teach clearly and faithfully and with love and that you might, by your spirit, help us all to hear what your word says, understand it, take it to heart, that we might live in a way that honours you, that we might live in a way that shows that we are people who've been saved by your grace. So work in us, we pray, in a way that glorifies Jesus, we ask in his name. Amen. Way back in 1967, before I was born, the Beatles released this song, their song, All You Need Is Love, uh, with those famous lines, All You Need Is Love, Love, Love Is All You Need. And back in the 60s, that song captured the sentiments of the summer of love era and the freedom, the sexual freedom that people sought. Uh, That love is... uh, a twisted distortion of true love. And yet love ought to define our relationships. Love ought to be at the heart of our relationships and at the heart of how we respond to God. Do you love God? Really love God? For some people, love, loving God is all inner and spiritual. It's private. It's about feelings. For other people, their love for God is all about their performance, external obedience. And Deuteronomy 6 helps us see that God calls us to a love that flows from the heart and results in, it affects our obedience. Because God wants us to love him with our all, our all. In Deuteronomy 5, Moses reminded the people of Israel that God had brought them out of Egypt. He'd saved them to live his way. And remember, over the last couple of weeks, we've looked at chapter 5, and we've heard that living the right way is the response to God's grace. Moses outlined the Ten Commandments. Remember, they're universal and permanent principles for a free people. They've heard the Ten Commandments. They've been given God's law. Now in chapter 6, Moses, their mediator, is urging them to obey, urging them to live it out. And our first point uh, this morning is love for God. Verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. If you read our footnotes in your Bibles, you'll see that the original Hebrew phrase here can be interpreted in slightly different ways, but Clearly, God wants his people to know that he is the Lord. We read that, don't we? Capitals, L-O-R-D. That's God's personal name. So this is a God who has a personal relationship with his people. In Moses saying that the Lord is one, he's likely teaching monotheism, that there is one God, and that the people's commitment to him is to be exclusive. If you were to turn back to chapter 4, Deuteronomy 4, verse 35, he's already made clear that the Lord is God and besides him there is no other. There are no other gods besides him. 
But beyond that, the people are to be committed to him exclusively, committed to God and not to idols, to no idols, because God doesn't tolerate two-timers. God is calling for their allegiance, their loyalty. So the context makes clear that total allegiance to the one God is required. And this then flows into verse 5. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Verses 4 and 5 are among the most important passages for Jews. In fact, Orthodox Jews recite these two verses morning and evening, every morning and evening, and they want to die with these words on their lips. The verbs, the the nouns here in verse 5, they're all singular. And so the Israelites are to each personally, they're each personally commanded to love God with all their heart, all their soul, all their strength. Heart is quite all-encompassing. Saying you've got to love God with all your mind, all your emotions, and all your will, your choices, your desires... Soul means all of their inner being, their whole self. And the word for strength or might, yes, it's all their their energy, all their actions, but the word for strength can also mean resources. So that can include loving God with all their wealth and their possessions. Everything's included. Everything you have, everything you are. And in the context of the verses before and after this, it's clear that love for God is seen in obeying his commands, regardless of their emotions, regardless of how they feel on any given day. They're told to love God with their all to make that choice. And so love for God is seen in obeying his commands. The next point is love for God is expressed in fearing and obeying him, obeying God. If you look back at verse 1, these are the commands the Lord commanded me to teach you to observe or to teach you to do. The word do or observe, it that's mentioned 50 times in this book of Deuteronomy. So doing what God says is a key theme in Deuteronomy. And they are to obey Verse 2, so that their children and grandchildren may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping his decrees and commands. Do you see that in verse 2? Fear him by keeping his commands. Fearing God is not about cowering before him in dread like some dog before an abusive master. No. Fearing God here is having this deep sense of awe a deep sense of respect, a deep heartfelt respect that makes us want to obey. Fearing God is the heartfelt devotion of a redeemed sinner. Fearing God, it's mentioned again in verse 13 and in verse 24, obey all these decrees and fear the Lord. Why though? Why would they choose to do this? Because it's a choice 
that already, that flows from the love that God has already shown them. Please turn back in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 5 and verse 6. Deuteronomy 5 and verse 6. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And then verse 7, you shall have no other gods before me. We all know that, don't we, that 6 comes before 7? We need to remember that verse 6 comes before verse 7. So in other words, what God has already done, verse 6, is the basis for what we are now to do, verse 7. What God has already done is to be the basis for what we should now do. It's the same in chapter 6. Turn over to chapter 6, verse 20. When your son asks you what's the meaning of the stipulations, decrees, laws, the Lord our God has commanded you, tell him, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand before our eyes. The Lord sent signs and wonders great and terrible on Egypt and Pharaoh and his whole household. And he brought us out from there to bring us in and give us the land he promised. Too many times in the past when my two-year-old or my eight-year-old child asked why they should do what I've asked, why, Dad? Well, too many times I've said, because I said so. Uh, obey, and I've said it, obey me because I said so. I've, too often I've said it with an angry and frustrated tone. Obey because I said so isn't always the most helpful answer for our kids. Verse 20 says, that when your kids ask you why should I obey these laws, the answer isn't simply because I said so. God says, tell them. God saved us from slavery. He brought us out powerfully and he has brought us into this land and blessed us. So in response to what God has done for us, we do what he says. Out of thankfulness, as saved people, we do what he says. And brothers and sisters, it is the same with us. God has come and saved us in Christ. Through Jesus' death and resurrection, we're saved from the death and judgment we deserve. We've been saved from slavery to sin. We've been saved from hell. And now we are with a thankful heart, we're to live his way. We are to love and obey. But this command here in chapter 6, verse 5, to love God with our all, still applies to us. It's still true for us. Mark chapter 12 tells us that once a teacher of the law asked Jesus, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answer Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Familiar words. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Later on in John's Gospel, in John chapter 14 and verse 15, Jesus says, if you love me, 
keep my commands. If we love him, we will keep his commands. And in 1 John chapter 4, we love because he first loved us. What does love look like? The Apostle John in 1 John wants us to understand what love look like, looks like. He says in 1 John 4, he says, This is love that God loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And he says, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. That's love. So as followers of the crucified Jesus, as God's new covenant people, we too have been loved by God, we've been saved by God, so we too are to love him in response. And we love God by giving him our hearts, our, our trust, our complete trust. We love him by obeying Deuteronomy 6 verse 5. And Mark chapter 12, we, we love him by giving him our allegiance, our, our loyalty. Have you done that? Do you need to do that again? We love God with our all by loving him more than our spouse, more than our job, more than our children more than your friends. We love God by loving him more than our car or the car we want, more than our game that you play on your screen, more than our phone, more than relaxing. We love God more than sex, more than shopping, more than sports more than sin. What is it you need to turn from and love God more than? What does God want you to turn from to love him most of all? Dan grew up in a low-income household in a rough part of town. From a young age, his goal was to get out of town and make it. He studied day and night at high school. He finished top of his class. He worked hard at uni. He not only got into medicine, but he graduated. And then he kept studying and working hard, 80-hour weeks, to become a top paediatrician. Dan achieved his goal, hadn't he? He'd made it, right? We might think so. Not Dan. He now wants to become a professor. He wants to lead the department at his hospital. He doesn't see his wife or his kids much. He has no friends, no hobbies. He's always busy with work. But the heart root of his busyness isn't his job. Not his love for his job, so to speak. It's actually his heart is driven by accomplishment. His love for success is greater than his love for God. But we love God by fearing and obeying him first. 
but for other things. And we love God by not forgetting him, by not forgetting to obey him. Our next point. Verse 10, when the Lord brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, the promised land, with flourishing cities you did not build, with fine cities full of goods. Picture a five-star resort, whether you've been to one or you want to go to one. Goods you did not provide, wells you didn't dig, crops you didn't plant. You get it. I'm sure God provided it all. They didn't. He's given it all to them on a platter. It's like... Genesis 3 and the curses there have been rewound and at least partly undone. Blessed land. And Moses says, when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of slavery. God knows that when we have everything we need, we forget him so easily. Affluence leads to amnesia. Fullness leads to forgetfulness. Prosperity brings not a work hazard, but a faith hazard. Because plenty and fullness can bring forgetfulness. And isn't that so with us? When I have money to pay the bills, money to buy food and the things I want, I may be thankful to God, but too often I forget to do that and I forget not only to thank God, but forget to really rely on him for what I need for today, let alone tomorrow. But when I don't have money to pay the bills, then you know you're desperate and you cry out to the Lord, when we have all we need, we can forget God. Are you in danger of forgetting God? Even if you are blessed materially at the moment, do not forget the Lord. He rescued us from slavery to sin. And as verse 13 says, fear the Lord your God and serve him only. Don't serve money and the satisfaction that it brings. Serve God only. What's interesting is that the word slavery at the end of verse 12 has the same root word as serve in verse 13. And so God has rescued you from slavery. Now, out of reverent respect for God, serve as his slave is effectively what it's saying. And that's exactly what Romans chapter 6 says about us becoming Christians. We used to be slaves to sin. Now we've been set free and we've become slaves to righteousness. We've become slaves to God. And that leads to holiness and eternal life. So don't forget who God is. Don't forget what he's done. The antidote to forgetfulness is intentionally, actively keeping what God says on your mind. Like in verse 12, we're told, be sure to keep the commands of the Lord. Don't forget who you belong to. Don't forget your first love. Don't 
forget who deserves your love and your loyalty more than any other. Words come easy. It's easy for us to say, yeah, I love God. I love Christ. God is saying actions speak louder than words. When God says, love me with all your heart and soul and strength, we're to show that in our actions, in actions that flow from the heart. And our love for God will be seen in our love for others. Those who are easy to love, those who are hard to love. And it will be seen in, in loving God more than other things. But the first commandment says, you shall have no other gods before me. Tim Keller, in his helpful book, Counterfeit Gods, tells of a woman named Sally who had the misfortune of being born beautiful. Since childhood, she saw the power she could wield with her physical attractiveness. At first, she could manipulate others, but eventually they manipulated her. She came to feel powerless and invisible unless some man were, was in love with her. She could not bear to be alone. She would even remain in abusive relationships. She'd made an idol out of love. Sally saw a counsellor who rightly pointed out that she'd been looking, for, looking to men for her identity, for her salvation. Instead, her counsellor proposed that she get a career and become financially independent. But she resisted that advice about finding her self-esteem and self-worth in her career and success because Sally realised that this was just replacing one form of idolatry with another. Sally came across Colossians chapter 3 and the, and the phrase, your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And Sally came to realise that neither men nor career nor anything else should be her life, her identity. What mattered was not what others thought of her, not what men thought of her, not her success or lack of success, but what Christ had done for her and how he loved her. So when she saw a man was interested in her, she would silently say in her heart, you may turn out to be a great guy, you may even be my husband's, but you cannot ever be my life. Only Christ is my life. That spiritual discipline gave her the ability to set boundaries and make godly choices. Remember to love God by placing no other gods, no other loves before him. And don't forget to teach your kids this, if you have kids. We saw already in verses 20 to 23 that 
When your children ask about God's commands, we're to tell them how he's rescued us and blessed us. And we ought to do the same, speaking of our rescue through Jesus, our blessing in Jesus. So don't forget to teach your kids the gospel and how obedience, how we live, flows from the gospel, how the good news of Jesus changes the way we should live. As I said earlier, we need to teach our kids why we obey God. We obey because he's our creator, our Lord is worthy of it. But we also obey because he's saved us and we're so thankful. In other words, we obey from the hearts, out of a love for him. Are you teaching your kids, your your grandkids that? Why obey? And then being clear on the motivation, we're to teach our kids the content of what God commands, what obeying God looks like. In verse 5, we've been told to love God with our all. Now look at verse 6. These commandments I give you today are to be on your hearts, impress them on your children, talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk on the road, when you lie down, when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands, bind them on your foreheads, write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. We are to impress God's commands on our kids by talking about his word morning and evening at home or traveling. Not in a Bible bashy way, but a winsome way. The point of verses 8 and 9 is to keep remembering what God says. So you don't have to literally bind scripture on your forehead like Orthodox Jews still do. But what could you do to keep remembering God's word? Wherever you go, whatever time of day it is, whatever you do or think, whether you're at home or away, we are to love God totally, unreservedly. And so relationship with God is meant to be what is most precious to us, our our greatest treasure, our greatest joy. And when we talk about God like that, as most precious, our greatest treasure, our greatest joy, when our kids see that in us, then by God's grace they might want that for themselves. They'll want that for themselves. If you have kids, what can you do to keep teaching and talking about God's word with them? Maybe it is putting up some Bible verses around the house so you can see them when you're at home. Maybe you could memorize the Ten Commandments together or other Bible verses. Maybe it's singing Colin Buchanan songs when you travel along the road, enabling him to help you all remember Bible verses in song. Maybe it's actually restarting that Bible reading time after dinner because, again, you've got out of the habit Or maybe when you talk with your daughter about the way she's been selfish, you could speak about God's love and his call to love and you could pray for change. And maybe when your son is making sinful choices, you could talk about why and how God wants us to live. You could pray that they would understand the gospel 
you could pray for change. And maybe when you have lost your temper and sinned against your family, you could say sorry and seek forgiveness and remind your kids that God wants you to repent too. For we all fall short of the obedience that God calls for. We all fail to remember and obey God's commands. In verse 24, Moses says, The Israelites on the edge of the promised land, the Lord has commanded us to obey so that we might always prosper and be kept alive. And verse 25, If we are careful to obey all this law, that will be our righteousness. Righteousness is about a right relationship with God. Here, it's about right behaviour that conforms to their relationship with God. But we know history, don't we? We know the Israelites won't continue to obey God fully. We know that in time, give it a few hundred years, they'll be killed and kicked out of the promised land. As verse 15 warns, God's anger will burn against them and destroy them from the face of the land. We are meant to learn from this. We are meant to learn from their experience that the law cannot save. We must understand that our obedience will never measure up. We fail and we have no righteousness in ourselves. Please don't leave this morning thinking you can obey, verse 25, and that your obedience will be your righteousness. No, we have no righteousness in ourselves, but we remember the righteous one, our Lord Jesus. And our final and brief point is fulfilling. We could never fulfill or keep God's law, but the fulfilling of the law has occurred. Jesus Christ, he lived without sin. He kept the law fully in our place. Then he died for us, for our forgiveness, for our failure to obey the law. And he pays the penalty for our failure. And by trusting in him, relying on him, we are declared righteous in God's sight. And I say, how good is that? How good is that? In in the words of Romans chapter 3, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by obeying the law. But apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. So Jesus is our righteousness and we are only righteous in him. So to be righteous in God's sight, have you relied on Jesus? And if you have, and you have been saved, the message is now live his way. Now live his way. Obedient living is the right response to our salvation. Because we are forgiven and freed people who have the Spirit, we are to obey. Because of what the Lord has done, remember to obey him. So brothers and sisters, live by the Ten Commandments. 
Live by what Jesus calls us to in Mark chapter 12 and do it out of a love for God. Love the Lord your God with your all, with all your hearts, all your soul, all your strength. A guy called Matt had been fighting sin and worldliness in his life when a mentor and friend once said to him, Matt, I know you've been fighting, but have you been looking? What he meant was, had I really been spending time with Jesus? In the hustle and bustle of life, I hadn't. So I did. I really did. I began just soaking in the Bible every morning. I woke up and just looked at Jesus. That is in his word by faith. And it didn't happen overnight, but slowly it began happening. Matt says, I tasted freedom. I began changing. That's how we change. By experiencing a greater thrill, a greater love. We've accustomed ourselves to meager, short-lived pleasures so our capacity for joy has shriveled. Our worship has shriveled. Our love for God has shriveled. Our love for our generous God is too shriveled. So let's change our, our mindsets. Let's remember that It's not out of mere duty that I love and obey God. It's my pleasure to love and obey God. It's the best life I could live. It is my pleasure to live his way. My God has loved me in Christ. He saved me from sin and death. If I consider these things, will I not want to love God with my all? Love God by remembering to obey him. Let us pray. Our great God and heavenly Father, we confess that too often we find joy and satisfaction in other things more than you. We confess that our joy in you, our worship of you, our love for you is so often small, it's not what we want Lord, help us to remember that true love is found and experienced in your love for us in Jesus. Capture our hearts again with the gospel so that we might remember the love of Christ for us, that we might remember that we've been saved from sin and death and hell and that we might want to love you in response. By your spirit, please change us to be more like Jesus. Grow our love, our devotion, our allegiance, our loyalty for you, our God, and you, our Saviour and Lord Jesus. May we do this for our good and for your glory. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.